Welcome to the Survival Guide for Orthodontists, the podcast that makes you the authority in orthodontics in your community. Get ready for insights on how to compete on expertise and trust against mail order in retail orthodontics. It's not always about the lowest fees. And now, from the People in Practice team, your hosts, Dr. Leon Klempner and Amy Epstein. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dr. Leon Klempner, a recently retired orthodontist and co-founder of People in Practice, and I am here with my partner and daughter, Amy Epstein. Most importantly, Amy and I hope you and your family are safe and healthy. By the time you hear this podcast, most if not all ortho offices across the country will be shifting their thinking to reopening their practices. Many of you have had an opportunity to catch up on your laundry list of office projects, and hopefully you've adhered to our advice to incorporate many of the readily available virtual tools to stay connected to your current patients and even prepare new patients to get started. To me, one of the biggest advantages of doing virtual adjustment appointments to roll your schedule is that in addition to not having a huge backload of patients wanting to come in on day one, you actually have some data and information on the status of your patients. So you can triage appointments that need to be seen during the first week versus those that can wait. Contact me if you need more information on the value of virtual adjustment appointments. But today, we'd like to focus on what will happen when you reopen. Will things go right back to normal or will they need to be adapted to a new way of practicing? I think, you know, it's hard to imagine that there won't be some long-term changes necessarily based on the fact that the virtual adjustments have been happening, um, you know, the obvious value that those that have already implemented dental monitoring have sort of benefited from, the ability to see patients remotely without really too much of a blip even, given not being able to see them in person. Um, you know, you have to think that that people will give a a long, hard, you know, orthodontists will have to think about whether that's something that should be implemented into their practice for the future. Perhaps this might happen again, or um, God forbid. So, um, you know, I do think that there will be some long-term changes. And of course, the changes that have to be made in terms of social distancing in the office and, you know, patient flow and protecting the staff in the office. So I think we're headed into a situation where things are definitely going to be different. Yeah, you know, I agree, Amy. And, uh, you know, things like uh, patient safety, which, you know, typically been on the back burner for most ortho practices, I think now come come to the forefront. And, um, you know, using the technology like dental monitoring, we have clients that we've been um, encouraging to move towards dental monitoring for, I'd say, a year, year and a half already. And they're just rolling along. So, you know, if you've been listening to our podcast, you know that uh, we've been preparing orthodontists to utilize these technological advances that are really available to us right now to get a better patient experience. Um, if you get a chance, uh, read my latest article entitled Adapt or Perish, where I talk a lot about technology in the January 2020 edition of the JCO. But today, we're going to focus on Joan Garbo. She's our guest. Joan's been known as a premier 
change agent, and she deserves that title. Over the past 30 years, Joan has led more than 2,000 seminars, I think, on topics such as communication skills, self-expression, customer service, team building, and other related topics that really help orthodontists experience life more fully, really, and, and, and accomplish their goals. I personally have known Joan um, professionally and personally for many, many years. Um, she is, I would say, very high energy. Uh, she's got a terrific sense of humor. But most importantly, uh, the ability to inspire people into action, giving them a renewed sense of purpose, all of which are really desperately needed during these extraordinary times, which is why we invited her as our guest today. Just a little bit of background on, on Joan from a professional standpoint. She has a master's degree from UVA and spent the first 10 years of her career as a certified audiologist before becoming a professional speaker and consultant in new communication technologies. Over the past 25 years, she specialized in consulting and training entrepreneurs, professionals, and their staff in enhancing their communication and relationship skills. Welcome, Joan, to the Survival Guide for Orthodontists. Well, thank you very much, both of you. <laughs> very kind. Yeah, Joan, it's great to have you. And as I mentioned, Joan and I go back a long way. I actually hired her years ago to work in my practice to work with our team. Um, she had a tremendous impact on changing the dynamics of how the doctors and the entire team communicate with each other. So, Joan, here's my question for you. The practice of orthodontics as we've known it has been dramatically disrupted because of the COVID-19 virus. With all the changes and challenges, are there things doctors and teams should be doing differently or are things really going back and, and, and never going to change? Well, the answer to that is yes to both <laughs> questions. Surely there's going to be lots of changes, you know, mostly in the procedures that you take on for to ensure patients for your infection control. You want to ensure the health of your both your patients and your team. Initially, when people start opening up their practices again, there's going to be a sense of excitement for many people. There's some people will be fearful. But there's going to be this sense of a new beginning, fresh start. The problem is, when I say that things don't really change, is that after this initial period, people are going to slip back into their old habits, which include, unfortunately, include gossip, subgrouping, complaining with being negative, and not having a ways of expressing themselves in a way that actually moves conversations forward, but in fact suppresses people. Mm. Uh, you know, when Leon, when you were talking about the work that I did with you and how the doctors and the entire team communicate differently, it entails things like, how do I have a complaint that I bring up to somebody without A, insulting them, or B, getting uh, getting pushback from them in a negative way and being punished for it? How do I make a, an honest request that and have a conversation that ends up being solution-oriented, which is one of the basic elements in the work that I do with, with the practices? And I think that's 
one of the things that happened with your practice was being mm-hmm. able to have people communicate what the what I call the undiscussables. So if I don't have a space to communicate what's not working for me, if let's say if I have a problem with Amy, instead of talking to Amy, I go to you. And if you're not the you you as the doctor will have some power to interact with that. But if you were a coworker, that's who I normally would go to. And as a coworker, you have no ability to make any difference in that conversation. This is what I call gossip. When you take a problem mm. that you have with one person, you take it to somebody else who can't do anything about it. And it begins to escalate to the point where people end up being having, I'm going to call emotional pain going to work. Does that mm. communicate yeah. well? Yeah, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. And you know, is there is there something that as our practices get back into the office that they can do to preempt that sort of thing from happening again? Oh yes, definitely. Um, for one thing, I'm I'm going to presume that most, if not all, practices, and I've, in fact, I know it's not all, but most people have been in communication with their teams in having Zoom meetings on a regular basis, to, even though they've been in shutdown and may not be physically open. If you haven't already done that, you need to have a, a pre-opening Zoom meeting with your team if you cannot, depending on what your state is, if you cannot physically meet together, have a Zoom meeting. And in that meeting, you have to do a couple of things. One of them is do a do a check on people's well-being. You know, how are they handling the the shutdown? What is their experience of coming back to work? Are they fearful? What do we need to do to make sure that they are not just excited but feel safe coming back to work? In addition to that, once that's that is out of the not out of the way, but once you've handled that piece, then you need to set up a collaborative conversation with them and talking about what are we going to do differently so that when the patients come in, A, they're excited, B, if they're fearful, we are able to take care of that, and C, that we know that this isn't just business as usual anymore, that we have, in fact, created an environment that they feel safe, both physically and emotionally, So one of the things that I suggest that they do is have a meeting in which you start asking yourself as a a group, you start asking certain questions. The first one was, is what is the experience that you want them to have so that when they come into the practice, they feel that way? You know, a lot of people, when they come into the practice, they're going to see a lot of differences. For instance, the reception area may have, you know, plastic shields up now. So one of the things I recommend you do is write a letter that you post on your website or you and your Facebook page and then send out an, an email and text blast with a link to the website so that you tell people before you come in for your first appointment, please look at the the procedures that we're setting up to ensure your safety and well-being. And in that letter, I would I would outline, the processes and procedures you're going to be doing. As an example, you may want people to, when they come to the practice, stay in the car, text that you've arrived to the front desk, then the front desk will ask that maybe 
just the patient come in or the patient plus one come in that make sure that they have masks when they come in. You know, whatever the processes that you want to set up with them, have that be already outlined and in your text and email have a link to the to the letter on your website. So that A people are they're not surprised when they come in and in fact they're in fact prepared emotionally that, you know, they are taking care of us. I would outline some of the infectious infection control procedures that you're instituting to guarantee their safety. Mm. But in addition to that, it's how how do we want to be with them? You know, we have to be very in tune with their emotional level. Are they fearful? Are they excited? We want to match our experience with theirs so that it's in every point along the way, when they call up, when they walk in, when they're seated. So as an example, when the patient is seated at the, if, you know, if you're promising infection control, when the patient is seated, you make sure that they see that you wa- everyone washes their hands and re-gloves before they sit down with you. These are just suggestions. I mean, mm. you guys know about the technology aspect of it better than I do. But I want you to look at it from the place of their experience and their emotional well-being. Yeah, Joan, that, that, that's great because, uh, you know, oftentimes, you know, we, we become so, uh, you know, self-focused on what this is doing to us and our practice and our staff and, 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 and oftentimes neglect that our patients are going through these disruptions and, 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 and all of these emotions as well. So uh, those, those things that you mentioned are, are great ideas that orthodontists could start preparing right now. So typically in our podcasts, Joan, we, we have a lot of callers. Once, once we announced that you were going to be our guest, we got a lot of interest and a lot of questions to ask you. But in the interest of time, we, we, we have one that we've selected. So okay. if you don't mind, we're going to play, we're gonna play a, a, a recorded call and, and we'll have you answer it. Great. This is Dr. Kervin Mack in Burlington, North Carolina. From the point of view of what you do, what are some of the differences between practices that operate like well-oiled machines and practices that merely limp along? Okay, first and foremost, it starts with the doctor. It's the doctor needs to train themselves to be a leader. I know that you wear different hats, you know, you're well trained as a doctor, but now you need to understand what it means to be a leader, because how goes the leader, so go the followers. So it starts with the doctor being clear. And by the way, clarity is one of the key aspects of good leadership, clarity, and your ability to communicate clearly to your team, what your expectations are, what's your vision. So one of the exercises that I think people can do is the doctor can actually tell them what their vision is, but there's an also a more powerful way is to direct them to creating the vision with the doctor. So the doctor needs to be clear about exactly the way they want their patients to be dealt with, but you do it by creating an experience with the team. So you ask the team, if you were a patient, 
and you had your son or your daughter, and your son or daughter may may actually have um, uh, may be autistic, may have some other um, problems, or maybe they're a normal child, or maybe they're an exceptional child. Whatever it is, create this idea that when I come to the practice, how do I want my child to be dealt with? How do I want them to be spoken with? How do I want me to be treated? So you go all through the process of what it's going to be like to be a patient here in the practice so that when they leave, they are saying, wow, that was the best thing that I've ever done. I am so glad that I am part of that practice. And what you do is you go step by step in in terms of how those patients are going to be treated when they call up, when they walk in, when they're seated, when they have their when their braces are first put on, when they're debanded, when they have a problem, if they aren't having a great hygiene. What you start looking at what are the exam how are the how are we going to be treating these people? What are the conversations? And not just specifically the words, but what's the experience that when we finish, they will say, wow. So it's the clarity of the vision and their ability to create that being clear and followed through. You need, the doctor needs to set boundaries and, and stick to those boundaries without, without fail, in, in fact. So as an example, don't ask your team to be on time if you're going to show up late. Be the leader. Be the leader who people want to follow. And they'll want to follow you when you know that when they know that you listen to them the way you want them to listen to you. So there are certain aspects of that that whole arena that you want to create with them so that they feel proud to be a part of the team, just like you want your patients to be proud to be part of your practice. Absolutely. You know, I think that that sort of philosophy goes a really long way in every, you know, in every uh, area of life, you collaborate and involve people in the decision making, and then they're on board with you to execute it. So it makes a lot of sense to have uh, collaborative discussions with the team to be able to make that vision happen. Because frankly, the doctor's vision isn't going to go very far if the team isn't supportive and additive to that vision. From our discussions in the past and um, from the way you're talking now, it seems very much that you know, you're an advocate of the team and you really do focus on um, who they are as people and what they can contribute to the practice rather than just what their job description is. Oh, um, definitely. And, yeah, it seems like that, that comes into play in your work a lot. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Oftentimes, people hire people first based on skills. I think skills are important, but you can't train people's personalities. You, it's difficult to train character. And while you may have a highly skilled person, they may be a real problem working with others. Uh, they, may not, they may not be very cordial in their conversations. They may be a domineering person. They may be a very negative person. You know, if you have negativity in your practice, that is the biggest downer. You have to figure that when you hire people, what whatever their skill level is, you're still going to have to train them to be a part of your practice. And it's easier to, to untra- it's easier to train people to do something 
the right way than to untrain people. So you first look for me, you first look for personality and character in, in your hiring process. You also manage people so that you confront negativity. You don't let it. You don't let it exist in the practice. You you go out of your way to make sure that people feel nurtured and nourished when they're when they're part of the team. One of the, as I say, communication. This whole idea of being able to effectively communicate is key to that being able to happen. When people know that they have a safe space to come to work, when they feel that they're recognized, when they feel that they're appreciated, when they feel that the doctor listens, and when they have a safe space to communicate, it makes all the difference in the world. And it passes off onto the patient. It changes the emotional atmosphere of the practice. See, a lot of times patients will see a great website. They'll see a great Facebook post and everything. They come in and they have a great experience with the TC. Is the experience going to be true after they become a signed commitment patient? On a regular basis, are they being treated in the same way? Or do they start to pick up on things like maybe the front office doesn't get along with the back office? Those issues have to be resolved. They need to have a smooth experience from the get-go. Yeah, I think you brought up a good point too and something that we talk about a lot is brand consistency. And so if you make brand promises and you, you lay out the vision and it's on the website and it's super clear, making sure that you're delivering on that in every possible touch point. So that's a touch point could be um, an email, but moreover, the touch points are the interactions that the patients have with the team when they're in the office. So delivering on your promise is a big part of establishing trust and credibility. And if there's a disconnect, you can really have some big challenges with keeping patients and keeping families in the practice. You know, Amy, we spend a lot of time and money and energy on training people in their technical competencies. And that is important. You also have to Train and technic- train people not just in their technical competencies, but in how to be a good team member, how to be on a winning team, how to uh, how to be, so that you know we have this conversation about leave your baggage at the door. Well, that's a good platitude, but how do you do that? One of the ways that I support people in getting focused so that they are being present at work is at the morning huddle, as an example. The morning huddle goes over, you know, you go over the uh, schedule. Are there any glitches? Are there any emergencies? Are there any openings? You do all of that conversation. But I also think it's very important for people to check in. How are you this morning? I actually have different exercises like having a flip chart Uh, in the uh, staff room or wherever you're meeting, your morning huddle is. And before you even start the morning huddle, the question for the day is, what am I most grateful for? So you get people's attention focused on letting go and finding gratitude. What am I grateful for? You know, even in the lockdown, what am I grateful for? Well, you know what? 
I, I'm locked down, but I have food. I have a house. I have friends. You know, I, I can't be with them, but I can communicate with them. There's always something for which you can be grateful for. And it changes. As soon as you put your focus on that, it changes. It creates a context for you to deal with things differently. So, yeah. As I'm listening to you speak, I'm thinking back of the, of the times that you spent in our office and you know, helping working on communication, um, leadership, um, creating a vision. And these are things that I think transcend not only just orthodontics, but go, go, go beyond that. I'm, I'm saying that because a lot of the communication style that you taught us um, at, at those, morning, at those uh, staff meetings, I brought home to my family. And, and I started utilizing those techniques um, because they were effective ways of communicating and, and listening. So I don't yeah. think it's just, you know, tied only only to orthodontics. I think that, you know, the work that you do uh, really transcends uh, the orthodontic practice and, and, and goes into every, everyday life. But I think the point I was going to make is that you know, I've been around a long time. I've been practicing 40 years before I switched careers. And, and regardless of what I do for a living, these principles apply. But you can't, I don't think you could do it by yourself, is what I'm saying. Right. I don't think that you can, I've tried. <laughs> you know, I've tried to do it by myself. And, you know, having a facilitator or having somebody help you uh, that, has, that, that isn't in the well with you, that can be on the outside looking in, I think is of tremendous value. Yes, yes. And, you know, Leon, what you're saying is we're talking about human behavior. So it's wherever you are, whether you're at home or work, you need to have these communication skills to make ha happy life. You know, happy wife, happy life. Well, happy team, happy doctor. Happy doctor, happy team, happy patient. Happy patient, more referrals. Mm -hmm. Yep. It just cascades you know, it, that way. Yeah, anecdotally, you know, one thing that I that we've continued that I remember is um, having like a little note uh, at the end of the day that that we would write to one person on yes. the team of uh, of appreciation. And I can't tell you, you know, I I I, I mean, staff love bonuses and love money. But I can tell you that uh, being appreciated is, is high on the list of what uh, staff members value, all of us value. Right. So I remember that, that that would seem like a silly little thing of grabbing a piece of paper and I don't remember the exact wording, but it was something about, you know, I really appreciate you because exactly. and, and then you would just <laughs> give it to them at the end of the day and it would really light them up. That is so important, you know. A lot of times I've had doctors say to me, oh, I know I'm supposed to do that, but I forget. So I gave them this very simple exercise that you put five coins or five little pebbles or something in one pocket. By the end of the day, those five coins or pebbles should be in the, op in the other pocket. And each one of them represents a time when you acknowledged one of your team members. That was a good job you just did there. Take a penny out, put it on the other pocket. You know, mm -hmm. I really appreciated the way you spoke to that young mo young boy. You really eased his his concerns. But you know, all the little things. You know, mm -hmm. don't wait for the big no moments. It's the little things mean a lot. 
And appreciation Darren, and acknowledgement is probably the most, what is missing most in people's experience at work. It makes the most definitely. difference too. Yeah, I think anybody who's ever worked anywhere would agree with you and uh, and would appreciate the appreciation. Yes. Uh, Joan, thank you so much for coming in and talking about your experience as a counselor with us today. What's the best way for our listeners to contact you if they could use the kind of help that you provide? Um, the best way... You can get most of the all the information on my website, which is simply www.joangarbo.com. And you'll have my con- my email address is also joangarbo at AOL. I try to keep it very simple. There's also, on my website, you may want to uh, look at, there's a newsletter that I put out monthly, uh, and there's a, a, a link for you to dis- subscribe to that. Uh, one of the things I just have to say, I'm really proud of the fact that my clients uh, have several statements on there, but the most important one to me is the sense of rejuvenation and joy at work and their ability to know that they're, um, they have long-term staff and they just are able to bring that home with them as well. The staff as well, by the way. It's not just that when the doctor goes home at night, the doctor's happy, but when the team goes home at night, they're happy too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Joan, I always learn something every time I speak with you, and today was no exception. I want to <laughs> thank really you. thank you. Thank you so much for sharing and being on the podcast with us. It's been my privilege and pleasure. Thank you so much. You can download other episodes of the Survival Guide for Orthodontists on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you'd tell one of your colleagues. For more information about people and practice, you can sign up for our free marketing newsletter on our website, pplpractice.com. Yes, thanks so much for listening. And if you'd like to contact me directly, just shoot me an email at leon at pplpractice.com. So long, everybody, and stay safe. Thank you for joining us on the Survival Guide for Orthodontists, where we help your practice grow within a massively disrupted industry. Subscribe to this podcast and connect with us on social media. Find us online at thesurvivalguidefororthodontists.com.